the FT. Welcome to the special edition of FT News. This is Ferdinando Giuliano, Global Economy News Editor. And with me is Professor Jean Tirol, winner of the Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Science. Good morning, Professor Tirol, and thanks yes. for being with us. Good morning. Thank you. My first question is really about your work on regulation, which has given you the prize. And in particular, I'm interested in your views about the evolution of regulation in, in the last 40 years generally since you started working on this topic. Do you have a sense that regulation is a much more important part of our lives today than it was when you started? It's more important, but especially different from what it used to be. The intervention of the state in the past was mainly ownership of public enterprises. So basically having the state being involved in the management of firms, which usually doesn't do very well because it tends to have uh, too many employees and not be very reactive to innovation. That's over. There's a new conception of the state, which is uh, much better. And I'm talking not a state in terms of uh, intervention in industries, which is the state as defining the rules of the game and protecting competition. So more like a referee, not as a player. And that's very important because that uh, markets don't always work well by themselves. You know, we always think about perfect competition, but perfect competition is rare. Firms often have market power, and some of it is deserved, for example, like when they innovate. But they can be abused of dominant position, and you know, the state has to control that. Let me cite one example of your work, which is your seminal paper on the regulation of monopolies with uh, Jean-Jacques Lafon in 1986. And there you argue that really smart regulation is the way forward for uh, the regulation, for example, of uh, uh, natural monopolies such as railways. I was just wondering whether you think regulators in these instances have generally been smart enough by your standards. Well, I think the quality of regulation has much improved. And first, and that's not your question, but it's important. The regulators have been more and more independent so from the political power. Because if you really want to be a referee, you want to be a referee. So you have to be independent. That's why we have independent authorities, which are in control of regulation, of antitrust, of central banking. So that has been an improvement per se. Then I think they have understood more or less the implication of what we call asymmetric information. You were kind enough to mention my work with Jean-Jacques Lafont, where we incorporated into regulation this idea that uh, regulators don't have all the necessary information. Uh, that's much broader than railroads or telecoms. It's, it's also true for banks and other regulated entities. It is very important to realize that there is asymmetric information. Then I think People realized and it took a while, and uh, you know, our work showed that it's actually you have to give incentives. So we departed from a world where you just reimburse the cost of the of the firms. So in the in the past, you had all those historical operators which were kind of inefficient; they were producing at a very high cost. And the reason why it was the case is that the regulator used to say, "Okay, you produce at a high cost. Don't worry, we'll raise the prices to cover your cost." That was called cost plus regulation, okay? Until the 80s, uh, 80s, 90s, it was like this. And I think a number of economists, including the people who taught me um, industrial organization at MIT, like uh, Paul Chosko and Dick Schmanzi, 
and you know, Jean-Jacques Lafont and myself and still others, I said, no, no, you need to give incentive schemes. Uh, you need to make the firm accountable for its costs, and you, you need to reduce costs that way. Then there was the issue of asymmetric information, because that means that sometimes uh, if you make the firm accountable for its costs, then if naturally it has low costs for some exogenous reason, not, not because of its efforts to reduce costs, you know, the firm will have some rent. And in order not to capture those rents and destroy the incentive for cost reduction, you need to have some commitment by the government, by the, by the state, by the regulator. And that's what, what was done with a so-called price cap system. So basically, the government will commit for five years, for example, to a price cap, which provides a lot of incentive to, to the firm, and price cap, which can be adjusted, of course, for example, for inflation and so on. But the idea is to give incentive, but to give incentive, you also need commitment. And then I go back to my earlier theme, which is this commitment is easier to give if you have an independent authority who is going to abide by its commitment. Politicians, it's harder because they are under strong pressure by the public opinion, and they may not be able to keep their word. In another paper, you've looked at the incentives which regulators face and sometimes how they may have really an incentive to collude in a way with the firms they oversee. Um, since the crisis, for example, financial regulators have come under a lot of pressure and come under fire for uh, being seen too close, for example, to the banking sector. Do you think these fears are justified and are there insights from your work which may help to strengthen the independence of financial regulators? First of all, I would like to say the regulators are not the only one to be blamed because if you look at countries like the U.S. or Spain and the politicians, uh, local politicians and national politicians uh, encouraging uh, the surprise and they re-encourage and they wanted to have more activity in real estate and ownership, the politicians were also very involved in, in creating the crisis. Uh, uh, there was actually a very interesting IMF report on Spain on this, on this issue. So it's not only the regulators, it's also the politicians sometimes. The regulators, yes, well, it's a difficult thing, and it's a very difficult issue, and uh, we don't always have a good solution. On the one hand, we want to have people who are completely independent, so, you know, not have a revolving door where people will go back and forth uh, between banks and the supervisors or between the telecom firms and the telecom regulators. At the same time, the pool of talents in the industry is small. And, you know, when you look for regulators, it's very hard just to take someone who is independent and, and yet is knowledgeable about the industry. So here, let me give you an example, which I think is really an improvement. It's a banking union in Europe. So the devil is in the detail. We still don't know whether it's going to work. But in principle, I think the banking union is actually a very good thing. Because you will have, say, when a bank in Spain, for example, will want to invest too much in real estate, in a real estate bubble, you will have regulators from wherever in the Eurozone, Germany or elsewhere, or France, who will say, oh, oh, this bank is doing the wrong thing. Let's intervene. Let's downside. Let's enforce capital requirements. Now, for a domestic regulator, it's not always easy, especially if he's under the pressure, he or she is under the pressure of politics. So I think moving the regulation away to Frankfurt, to the ECB, is actually quite a good thing. Of course, you will still need 
the local teams. But you know, having local teams be mixed with more independent people from another country actually uh, gives me some hope. Another area of your work which has really attracted attention is what you've done on uh, two-sided markets and on this idea that some companies really have two types of customers and there may be an incentive to drive down the price of their products for one of them in order to attract and charge more to the other uh, group. And one example there is obviously, for example, Google or uh, Facebook. And Google in particular, it offers its search engine for free, but it has a very a lot of market power in the advertising segment. Regulators are now starting to look at Google with increasing uh, worry. How justified do you think are these worried, for example, by the European Commission? Well, I don't want to talk about things which are under scrutiny right now because this might be interpreted as being, might being pro-Google or anti-Google. But you are right. I mean, the two-sided markets are, are important. They are important in terms of business model because, you know, in many industries, as you mentioned, you know, one side of the market gets an extremely good deal and the other side of the market gets a less good deal. And the idea is to balance the markets to have both sides on board. So that's why we pay so little for our payment cards, which are wonderful instruments. That's why we have this fantastic service from Google, the search engine and the email and whatnot. Those are two-sided markets, but something else the work in Toulouse in particular and in other places has shown is that the antitrust of two-sided markets is different from the standard antitrust. So, for example, the fact that we get services at a zero price, wonderful services at a zero price, or sometimes a negative price, actually. You know, when you get frequent flyer miles for using your card, or when you get search engine services, it's like a negative price in a sense because you get it for free. And yet it's not necessarily predation, right? It doesn't mean that uh, you're not necessarily preying on your competitors. And free newspapers, you know, small free newspaper that is distributed in the underground actually is not preying on the Financial Times, right? So the antitrust economics are completely different and we, we are starting to understand them. There's a lot of work to be done. Now, I don't want to answer directly about Google, but let me answer a little bit indirectly. It's true that in those high-tech industries and in two-sided markets, you tend to have concentration. Concentration is so you have very few firms. You have very few firms for two reasons. The first is that you have lots of fixed costs to develop your technology. I mean, to get a good search engine is actually very expensive, of course. And the other thing is what economists call network externalities. So, that simply fair. I'm interested in being on Facebook if you're on Facebook. I and mean, I have no interest in being on Facebook if the others are not. So there are network externalities. And both effects, uh, the fact that you have large fixed cost of developing a technology, and then you have network externalities where people want to be with their peers. And you want an Apple, for example, iPhone, because you know that you'll get lots of applications on your iPhone. And you get lots of applications on your iPhone simply because there are lots of users of the iPhone. So there is a lot of concentration, and that's unavoidable. And that's okay if the industry is dynamic. So if you have a more efficient firms which come in, it should be able to come in. So the role of the antitrust authorities is to make sure that there is a level playing field, and not to expropriate, of course, uh, those who have done it innovative work and are benefiting from the innovation. But at the same time, there should not be an abuse of dominant position, which will prevent entry. So those are the broad principles. And I don't want to get into detail because it's too much in the news today. And, you know, I have a new status, unfortunately, that 
that, of course, makes it dangerous for me just to talk about things I haven't studied. Can I ask you a final question, which is really about the spirit of your work? You're very much an economic theorist. Your work is based on very elegant formula. And yet, a lot of students over the last few years have been protesting against the use of mathematics in, in economics, saying that it's too much and it doesn't allow to concentrate on real problems. I'm just curious about how you take these complaints, whether you think they're justified at all or not. There are two different dimensions. There is a teaching dimension, which it's true that sometimes in terms of the teaching we could improve, uh, and we are trying to do it in Toulouse, and many other people are trying to do it elsewhere, to improve the curriculum for the students. So, for example, if you're an engineer or an MBA student, you don't want to be a professional economist, but you want to know, understand the economy. So if you have something which is too mathematical, for example, you might actually don't have the big ideas. Then there's the world of economists, and there the mathematics are actually very, very important. And, and I think now there is almost universal agreement for that because you have to express your ideas in the clearest way, find out whether they are robust, you have to test them through good econometrics. So you need mathematics to do good statistic tests. So it's, it's a science. It's a social science, but it's a science. And it's very important to use the right tools. Now, I'm a theorist, as you mentioned, and I'm, I'm very proud to be a theorist. But, you know, a number of the recommendations uh, I've been making have been used in antitrust and regulation. So that means economics, like any science, is a food chain. So you have the person who does things which are even more theoretical than I do, and they are extremely useful to me. And, and then, you know, down the chain, there are people who are going to actually use the ideas uh, that uh, come out of this research. So I will defend this model very much, but it's a model which is now used everywhere. I think the complaints are more about the teaching sometimes, and then sometimes they are right. We have to make more effort into uh, making sure that people understand economics, and we have to speak in simple words, which I will have to learn to do, actually, (laughs) now that I'm more in the media. That's not my area of specialty, but uh, certainly um, that's going to be an important challenge. Professor Jean Tirol, thank you very much for being with us today. From me, Ferdinando Giuliano, goodbye. Thank you very much. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.